0: from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me and with the dead." clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried." may the lord do to me may the lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you and when naomi saw that she was determined to go with her she said no more so the two of them went on until they came to bethlehem and when they came to bethlehem house of bread when they came to bethlehem the whole town was stirred because of them and the woman said is this naomi She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, pleasant, call me Mera, bitter, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Courage at the crossroads of time. Short outline, we could have an introduction. We're gonna look at a very bad decision, looking at On the Way Back Home, a wonderful conversion, and a conclusion. The author of this book is, according to Jewish tradition, is Samuel, who also wrote the book of Judges. And this book of Ruth is very closely tied in with the book of Judges. We have to understand these books together. Um, Verse 1 says, in the days when the judges ruled. So uh, the story of Ruth is kind of backing up to the book of Judges. Probably in the time of Gideon, if we look at the genealogy, some 1,200 years before the birth of our Lord, Two hundred years before the birth of David, and it was during a period of disobedience, rebellion, terrible apostasy in Israel. put a map up here, I kind of visual guy, and when I read the Bible, I try to look at whoops, put it on the other way, it might work. So Bethlehem is up here, and they take a long journey through to Moab, which is down here in this area, across from the Red Sea, what is today at least partially in the land of Jordan, the country of Jordan. Uh, Ruth is placed between Judges and 1 and 2 Samuel. It forms the transition between the time when Israel was being ruled by Judges and then being ruled by kings. And it explains the genealogy of King David. It took place during the time of Gideon, a time of regional judges. Um, so these regional judges were replaced by an overall king, and Ruth is a transition. It shows us that God had faithful godly servants despite the apostasy, <clears throat> the idolatry, mistreatment of women, violence during the time of judges. The book of Judges... Closes with a couple of chapters which are very sad. It shows how a woman, the concubine of a man who was traveling, was gang-raped, killed, and then her boyfriend or whatever he was cut her up, cut her up into pieces, and sent pieces of her body throughout Israel. And then there was a tribal war, and the whole tribe of Benjamin was almost wiped out. Um, Terrible, terrible time. Um, We look around us today in the world in which we live and sometimes we think it's awful hard. I have grandchildren. I see them growing up and wonder what type of world they're going to be in when I leave this world if the Lord doesn't come back. But the book of Judges tells, the book of Ruth tells us that despite those horrible times, God still had godly servants. The heroine of this story is not a Jew. She's a Moabite and Moabites were despised by God's people. Remember the story of Balaam? God's people were going to go through Moab on the way to the promised land and the king of Moab was afraid of them and he went out to the east and he hired Balaam who was supposed to be a prophet to prophesize against the people of Israel and he tried and it didn't work. So um, the rest of the story we'll see later but the Moabites were not allowed to enter God's temple to the 10th generation. That's how much they were hated. Ruth is um, one of many Old Testament non-Jews who experienced God's grace. It was always God's will that his called out Old Testament people, the Jews, should be a light to bring other peoples to him. It's also God's will that we who are members of his church, we who are God's called out New Testament people, we should be a light to bring others to him. That's part of the meaning of the story of Ruth. Ruth is only one of four women in our Lord's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And I find it fascinating. Rahab was a Canaanite and a prostitute. Tamar was another Canaanite and she was also a prostitute. Bathsheba married to Uriah, who was a Hittite. Certainly converted, I'm sure, but certainly from a non-Jewish nation. And she also was immoral. And Ruth, a Moabite four examples of God's grace for non-Jews who came to Yahweh in the Old Testament. I'm putting on the screen here the order of the books in the Hebrew Old Testament. The Jews put together the Old Testament by what they thought to be the subject, the themes of the books. Um, When we Translate the Bible into different languages, when Jerome translated into Latin particularly, we decided that in our culture, chronology was more important than the way the Jews put it together. So the Old Testament books in our English Bibles are somewhat in chronological order. But you see here the order of the books of the Old Testament, Hebrew Old Testament, and I realized that there are some differences there. The Septuagint, which is a Greek translation, is slightly different. The Syriac version is different, but this is the main Hebrew version. And you notice that Ruth follows what book? Is that big enough that you can see it? What book is before Ruth? Sorry. Yeah. Mm. What does the last chapter of Proverbs talk about? Wake up! I'm falling asleep. I need you to wake up. What does the last chapter of the book of Proverbs talk about? The virtuous woman. Who is the only woman in the Bible who is called virtuous? Let me read you from, verse, from Ruth chapter 3 verse 11. Moaz says, for all the people that dwell within the gates of my city know that you are a virtuous woman. The only person in the Old Testament, the old woman called virtuous is Ruth. It's not a coincidence that Proverbs 31, which is the last chapter of Proverbs, is followed by Ruth, which gives us an example of a virtuous woman. By the way, let's be careful with this word virtuous. It doesn't mean that she sat in a long robe doing cross-stitch and smiled at people. This word virtuous is used in the Old Testament in an interesting way. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, there is a list of David's best soldiers soldiers who went down into a pit and took on a lion. There's a man that took a spear away from a giant Egyptian and killed him with it. There's one man, one soldier that killed 300 men in one day with a sword. And, and they were called valiant men, mighty men. Exactly the same Hebrew word that is used for virtuous, for Ruth. Okay? So, you know, if you think the Old Testament and the Bible is misogynic, does not respect women for what they are, um, has a bad view of woman. That's not true. Ruth was a strong, brave person like these men of war. might mention that um, there's an interesting verse in the New Testament. Um, Jesus says, as he's speaking to the city of Jerusalem, to the Pharisees, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah, the son of Bereshia, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Now that's interesting. In what book do you find the story of Abel being toed, being killed? You're sleeping. In what book do we read about Abel being killed? Genesis. In what book do we read about Zechariah being killed between the sanctuary and the altar? Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Ooh. Genesis through to Chronicles. Our Lord is giving credibility to the whole Jewish New Old Testament. <laughs> the martyrs from the first book of the Bible of the Old Testament to the last book of the Bible. You understand what our Lord did here? Talking about the Moabites, um, they lived to the south of the tribe of Reuben, to the northeast of the uh, Dead Sea. And I'm sorry, that's a mistake, to the southeast of the Dead Sea. Um, they originated in the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. They had always been among Israel's worth enemies. Uh, Balak, their king, had hired Balaam to curse Israel. And when that didn't work, he sent out the daughters of Moab to seduce the Israelites, and to lead them into immorality and idolatry, and that caused a great plague on the children of Israel. They worshipped Chemosh, um, who was somewhat like Baal. Um, and One thing that characterized Chemosh was that he demanded the sacrificing of infants, and and he demanded religious prostitution. When a lady gave birth to her first son, she had to take that son and push him onto the arms of Kamos, who was a, a bronze uh, statue in the form of a chair with a fire beneath, and would burn her newborn baby as a sacrifice to Kamos. And one of the ways we worshiped Kamos was to go to his temple and have relationships, sexual relationships with the lady prostitutes there. Um, terrible, terrible God. Um, by the way, um, Ruth probably took place during the period when Didi was a judge. Um, we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, in 2nd Kings 3, there's an interesting uh, verse when the king of Israel and the king of Judah went to attack Edom and Moab. Uh, the king of Moab did this. Then he took his oldest son who was to reign in his place, this is the king of Moab, and offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land, probably in disgust. That's the type of religion that was. That's, that's where Ruth came from. And that's where Naomi and her husband had gone. Uh, Baal and Shemos were rain gods. Uh, Gideon's father had built an altar to Baal, which Gideon destroyed. And I have an idea that perhaps God has sent this famine. Um, to the people of God during Gideon's reign, during the life of Elimelech, to punish Israel and to mock Baal. There's an inclusion in the book of Ruth. Uh, If you listen to me teach, you'll find out that I'm obsessed with inclusions. At the beginning of a section and at the end of a section of the Bible, you often find a a word or a concept which sets it out. Um, At the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, verse 2, Elimelech, Ruth's father-in-law, his name means God is my king. Um, The book ends with David being the king. So the idea of kingship is is important in the book of Ruth. Um, It's the link between the period of the judges and and, and King David's reign. Um, If I'm right in saying that Samuel wrote both these books, he wanted to prove that David, who had replaced Saul, who was very popular, Uh, David was worthy to be the king because of his ancestry. Trace his ancestry back. The reason for this book, Ruth was also the proof that even if God had chosen Israel as his people, his grace reached those to every person who truly believed in him. In in fact in the book of Joshua, um, certain disobedient Jews Achan, Achan is one, were also given over to destruction and certain non-Jews such as Rahab, the Kenyans, the Gab- Gabinites, became part of God's people. Ruth was a Moabite among the nations that God and the Israelites hated the most but God fully accepted Ruth. I'm excited that this church is, is, is full of people from other nations who like Ruth were immigrants and we as God's people need to receive other peoples and lead them to Christ. God fully accepted Ruth. Ruth and Naomi lived in very dark times, characterized by terrible apostasy among God's people. One of the twelve tribes, Benjamin, had been almost completely destroyed. Idolatry, immorality. Uh, some of the worst episodes in the book of Judges happened in Bethlehem. And The story of Ruth demonstrates that even during the worst periods of history, there are men and women of God a very bad decision god had given the promised land to his people to dwell in uh, today god dwells in our hearts he dwells in our hearts through the holy spirit but we can worship him everywhere but during Ruth's time uh, god dwelt in the tabernacle between the cherubim on the ark of, Eli- the ark of- on the ark um, and-, and they had to go to that one place to worship him Elimelech was therefore disobeying disobeying the Lord by departing from his God, from his people, from his land. He made it impossible for his family to worship the true God. Fathers, leaders of families, don't make decisions that stop your people from worshiping the true God. I'm going to say something personally here, um, I live in the city of Three Rivers where when I went there were the four paper mills and three iron mills and three aluminum mills and a magnesium mill and everybody worked shift work. That was the way it was. Um, but it always bothered me when I saw parents who would send their 14-year-old children or allow their 14-year-old children to take a job which meant they could never come to church. If I were to sit down and and try to correlate the ones that worked every Sunday against the children who never followed the Lord, it was very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, One of the most important things you can do as a father, as a mother, is make sure your kids go to church on Sunday with you. The Promised Land depends on rain to receive water for crops and food. Uh, The rain originates with winds from the west, from the Mediterranean Sea, and when the winds are absent or contrary, there is no rain, there is no harvest, there is a famine. The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 400 years. Egypt did not depend on rain. Egypt depended on the swelling of the the Nile River after the rainy season to the south in Africa, and the Nile River would overflow and give water for their crops. But in Israel they, did, they depended on rain. Uh, the name of Bethlehem means host of bread and this host of bread had become a host of famine, of hunger. Now, famine was awful, often used by God's people by God to test his people, uh, to punish them for idolatry and God's ultimate purpose was always to bring his people back to himself. But instead of trusting the Lord, Elimelech led his family to Moab to escape the famine. And that's a bit of a pattern in the Old Testament. A thousand years earlier, Abraham had also left the promised land to escape the famine. He went to Egypt. And it was a time of failure in Abraham's spiritual life. Certainly wasn't a good example to his nephew not. Uh, Mom and Dad, the young people in your life will see your failures and they'll copy them. And they'll go farther Away from the Lord than you have. Remember that terrible responsibility. Uh, Isaac, Isaac. Okay, Isaac escaped to, to an adulterous culture during a famine, fell into sin when he was there. Jacob too brought his family to Egypt during a famine in the Promised Land, and even this was even if this was in God's sovereign plans during plan during the four hundred years of slavery in Egypt. The Israelites adopted the idolatry of the people around them. This wrong decision by Elimelech brought God's judgment out to him and his family. He died, his sons married Moabite and an idolatrous woman, his sons died young, and his wife Naomi was left in extreme poverty and without hope. In those days, a woman who had no husband and no sons, had, there was no welfare, no Canada pension, no Quebec pension, she starved. Perhaps went to prostitution—the only, the only trade she could do as a woman. Um, this was a disaster. I'm not sure that it was Naomi's decision to go to Moab. Bad news. Bad decision. Have you made bad decisions in your life? There's hope on the way back home. Naomi makes the difficult decision to return to Bethlehem. Deep in her heart she, knows, she knew she was undergoing God's judgment. In verse 21 she says, I'm in great distress that the hand of the Lord has stretched out upon me. What is she going to do with her two widowed daughters-in-laws? She can't provide for them. If she returned to Bethlehem with two my daughters, that would be a disgrace, and It could result in rejection by her people. Uh, there are some things we have to admire about Naomi. Uh, she doesn't blame God. She accepts her judgment on her. Sometimes we're quick to blame God. Not Perhaps not in words, but certainly in our minds. Um, it, it's a good thing sometimes to verbalize our suffering and our disappointment. It helps in our suffering. Um, Naomi means sweet or beauty. Uh, Mara means bitter. Uh, Consider how a very bad decision turned a sweet woman into a bitter woman. And as I say, not sure she's responsible for the decision. But we see no anger in her bitterness. I have a friend, Matthew Caron, who is a professional counselor, biblical counselor. He, He often says that anger is an illogical emotion. And he asks the question, who are you really angry with? Who are you really angry with? If God is sovereign, he has allowed certain circumstances to come into our lives. And if he is always good and just, it's against him that we are angry. Why should we be angry with the simple instruments, the man or woman, or the circumstances that God is using when God is responsible for what's going on? Anger is illogical. Deep down in our heart we are angry because we believe we have suffered injustice. But if God is in control, if he is perfectly just, and he is, have we really suffered injustice? Sometimes I need to sit down and say to myself, if I really receive justice, I'd be in hell right now. Hmm? Let's be logical. God is either good or he is not good. It is illogical to be angry. Now it really bothers me that Naomi would be willing to encourage her two daughters-in-law to return to their false gods. Perhaps a sign that during those ten years in Moab she had died spiritually in some ways. She suggested that they abandon the knowledge of God that they had learned during their marriage and return to idolatry and eternal perdition. Perdition. But God will still honor Naomi's first steps of obedience. God does not despise very small steps of obedience. I don't know where you are, what you're living in your life. And you may say, I'm too far down. There's no hope for me. Um, it's too late. Now we made mistakes here. I think it was wrong for her to push her daughters to return to their gods. She used that expression, go back to your people and your God. But she made one small step of obedience. That was one step in the right direction, and it ended in great blessing. One of the greatest examples of grace in the Old Testament to me is the king Manasseh. <clears throat> we read that he's that he built an idol and placed it in the temple, the temple of God that Solomon had built, that he sacrificed his own sons, burning them on an altar. He was terrible. And God judged him, and he was carried off to Babylon in captivity. And that horrible man, one of the worst kings, certainly the worst king of of Judah, that horrible man. In the city of Babylon, in, in captivity in Babylon, it was said that they took him with hooks. I don't know what that means. I, I would not think about it. Um, in Babylon, he cried to the Lord. And if I'd been the Lord, I'd said, "Today for you, guys. <laughs> and we read that the Lord lifted him up, touched the king of Babylon's heart, and he returned to his own country. And there he got rid of all the idols, and he started to worship the Lord. And if there's hope for Manasseh, there's hope for you. Wonderful conversion. Ruth had witnessed the faith of her father-in-law and her husband and her mother-in-law, and she made a decision to make Naomi's God her God. She swore by the Lord, Yahweh, may, Yahweh, may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death pass me from you. In that culture, this is perhaps strange to us, but we swore by the God who we thought was the true God. And this is an act of faith on her part. Worshipping the true God, rejecting the false God of her youth that, that's a true conversion. Uh, what a wonderful friendship she has demonstrated, Naomi. There's always two vital aspects of friendship: time, commitment. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will stay. Your people will be my people. I'd like us to notice here how Naomi's unconditional love contributed greatly to Ruth's conversion. Conclusion The book of Ruth demonstrates the grace, the pardon, and the welcoming of our Lord, of our God. Publishing house where I still am involved has just printed 35,000 copies of a book of a book called um, "Humble and Gentle." In English, we printed it in French. Interesting book, important book, I think. Basically, tells us this that throughout the whole New Testament, throughout the Gospels. <clears throat> In only one place does the Lord Jesus talk about his real character, who he is. What's he really like? And he says, come unto me, I am humble and lowly. That's the Lord speaking. Come unto me, all you who labor. My my yoke is easy. That's the way the Lord is. And sometimes we have a, a picture of our Lord that's not like that. We're afraid of him. He won't welcome us back. We've gone too far. God welcomed Ruth. God welcomed back Naomi. He'll welcome back you. God gave grace to Naomi. He gave her hope. In her extreme poverty, he provided for her needs. And I think most of you know the story of Ruth. Her sons had died and left, not left her any grandchildren, but God gave her an extraordinary inheritance. She became the great-great-great-great-grandmother of David, the king. Ruth was part of a wicked Idolatrous people. She had no reason to think that God would accept her as a widow and a childless woman. She had no hope of financial support. God showed her grace and gave her the best of husbands. And God gave grace to Naomi. She had no husband or son to look after. Had no husband or son to look after her. She gave her a rich son-in-law who redeemed her inheritance. She gave her a grandson and a great and great-grandsons who ensured her posterity. She was part of a big mistake, but she obtained forgiveness and restoration. My friends, in a world where so much is going badly, in a world dominated by COVID-19, we, we could doubt God's goodness and his provision for us. Um, some people think that COVID-19 is God's judgment on this world. Perhaps. But despite the famine, God had decided to do good things for Naomi and Ruth. And he accomplished wonderful things for them. And the same God will take care of us despite the circumstances. God is not only the God of superheroes. (laughs) He's the God of ordinary people like Naomi and Ruth. He's the God of people who have made very bad decisions. People who need to start over. He's the God of forgiveness, the God of love the God of new beginnings. It's always possible, ALWAYS possible to begin again with our God. When we think of Ruth's conversion, uh, it's not our arguments that bring people to the Lord. Much more often, it is our love and friendship. I used to be a Jehovah, Jehovah witness killer. I used to love when they came knocking on the door, and I'd get them in there, and I'd take out my Greek New Testament and prove them all types of things. I never led a JW to the Lord, during the first 25 years of my my work. I found out that I needed to shut up, listen to them, show them friendship, show them love, and then I could start talking to them gently. Um, We can win the arguments, dominate the discussion, but lose the person. Uh, Witnessing is not always intellectual. It's often relational. The last verse of chapter one brings hope. The first verse begins with a famine. The last verse says they returned to Bethlehem and it was the time of the barley harvest. Month of April, the first harvest. The first crop that um, that was harvested and that culture and that land was the barley. It grew faster than wheat. The month of April. Um, so the the chapter one that we read starts with a famine and ends up with a harvest. So even though the future, so even if the future looks bleak, there's always a tomorrow with God. In closing, I want to ask you a question: Do you need to go back, remake a bad decision? Do you need to start over with God? It's never, never too late to start over with God. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. Thank you for who you are. You're the only God. We, hope to imagine that we hate to imagine a universe where God would be severe, mean, unforgiving. And you're the contrary of that. The only God. You are the only God and your a God of love, a God of compassion a God of forgiveness the prophet Micah cried out who is a parting God like you thank you for the possibility of starting over again Lord God we turn to you for many of us we've made mistakes there are perhaps people listening to my voice this morning who need to start over need to return to you we pray that you'll give them hope that you'll lead them that they'll find forgiveness, restarting their relationship with you, and that you'll bless them, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 May the Lord bless you. I'll give you a great week.